Turkish March, Road to Boston, The Harriet. How many times has this dude been kicked out of Russia to go to Siberia? It, it happens a lot with a lot of these, like, early communists. Like, if you look at their, their sort of backgrounds, like Stalin as well. Oh, you pesky there. Trotsky, you back? Well, we kick you out again. Bye-bye. It's, it's sort of Let's like... Let someone get Leon the fuck out of here. <laughs> he's he's drunk again. He's, he's just like, yeah, I had to go pick up my mail, and now I'm out. <laughs> no, I'm just back. I forgot to my keys. That's it. here with the other Steve. This is Steve. That's the other Steve. Um, and Ryan, we're hey Troika. What's up? We're here to we're here to talk about the the early years of Leon Trotsky, sort of the uh, the rise of Trotsky, and then next episode we'll talk about the fall of Trotsky. Wait, wait, wait! I was under the impression that this is going to be a Sopranos like retrospective. <laughs> In a way, it kind of is. I think I feel like that's the only way you're getting me to the table anymore. Okay, we're gonna do this like The Sopranos. How's that sound? <clears throat> yeah, you know who'd be a great Leon? <laughs> you know who'd play a great Leon Trotsky? The guy who played Artie Bucco. Oh my god! <laughs> he would just uh, it would just be him, you know, driving into like St. Petersburg in like a, a horse-drawn cart. <laughs> uh, but, but, but here's the deal: I thought Trotsky had hair, didn't he? Artie Bucco didn't have any hair. Yeah, well, I mean, he was baldish. Like he had, he had hair. I, I kind of feel like towards the end of his life, it was more of a receding hairline. Oh, okay. I thought Lenin was like the major bald one. Yeah, uh, Trotsky pretty much had had hair. It sort of became more of a widow's peak um, into his later years um, as, as it sort of came back. So you can see pictures of him like in Mexico, and he still has, you know, a full head of hair. Ah. Uh. Now, this is obviously going to be a huge, huge subject to cover. So instead of trying to ham-fist all into to one episode, we'll do two parts. Yeah, uh, the first part's going to be like sort of his um, early life up until around a little after the end of the, um, the Russian Civil War. And then the other half will be sort of um, from like right after that, sort of the death of Lenin up mm-hmm. until his own death. Yeah, and then we'll do a third uh, part, which is just a uh, epilogue about how Elaine got me blacklisted from Hop Sings. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till we get to this, to to part two, so I can talk about Ramon Mercador or Mercader. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember from high school uh, history about Leon Trotsky is the guy who killed him. Ramon. Really? Ramon. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I don't hero. think they taught us that in New Jersey. Dude, listen, I could live to be 150 years old. I could forget all my family members' names. I could forget everything. <laughs> I will not forget that the man who assassinated Leon Trotsky was Ramon Mercader. It's all oh, my God. So, to, to get us started on Trotsky, he was born on November 7th in 1879 um, in what is today uh, Ukraine. Um, he was born in the, the town of Yanovka, um, which is, which is sort of, um, I, I believe it's sort of close to the, to the Black Sea. Um, his birth name, um, like a lot of Soviet revolutionaries, um, he, he sort of went under a assumed name, um, sort, sort of these revolutionary names that they would come up with. His birth name was, um, Lev 
Devadovich Bronstein. Hmm. Um, he was the fifth child of a, of a wealthy Jewish farmer, um, and um, he he would be a bit of a polymath. Um, but his um, his first language that he spoke um, was a mix of Russian and Ukrainian, um, which these these are somewhat common. Uh, called Serzhak. I thought you were gonna say commonly spoken language. I was gonna say yeah, in the Ukraine, I would hope they speak Ukrainian and Russian. Well, it's, it's not, he, he doesn't speak each language individually. It's a language, it's a mashup of them, sort of like... It's a pigeon. How, like Spanglish. How Yiddish, or like how Yiddish is a mix of German and, and Russian and, and a little yeah, bit of Ukraine. it's like a pigeon. It's like, uh, it's like, um, the fuck do Haitians speak? Creole? Haitian Creole. Yeah. Um, at, at the age of eight, he's sent to a, a German school in Odessa to study... Um, the, these are somewhat uh, common. Um, it's sort of a private school. Um, Germany at that time, because this is before the First World War, you know, it's associated um, with learning and, and sort of things like that. Um, and also, too, um, Russia at this time did have a, a German minority um, uh, for, for a number of reasons, uh, mainly due to, to past czars ha- had sort of invited in um, Germans to, to live in Russia, um, to hoping that they would, you know, bring... Um, German modernization into Russia. So Russia's right. way ahead of the way ahead of the United States on that curve, as far as the United States pulling German scientists after World War II. Well, they weren't they weren't exactly getting like scientists. It was just like farmers. Oh, they were just getting anybody. Yeah, they were just like we want we want Germans to come in here because you guys are from like a slightly more advanced country. Um, so we want you to come in here so you can sort of uh, bring what you have going on into Russia. But we want the so dumbest it, motherfuckers of you to come over here, though. We don't want to, it, we don't want the scientists. We want the farmers. <laughs> it would it would be kind of like if some like country like like a developing country was like we want people from like first world like sort of uh, countries to come into to live here. Like we want we want people from Europe or the United States, you know, just come and live in our country. Basically to help us get the infrastructure built up, basically I'm assuming. Pre- pretty much. Okay. Um he as I said, you know, he he becomes a bit of a polyglot. He would eventually be fluent in Russian and Ukrainian and and he was said to speak French, English and German pretty well. Oh, smart guy over here. Um, so um, his, his school, even though it's German, um, soon after um, he, he's enrolled in the school, due to changing imperial policies, um, it, it sort of made into a Russian school mm. um, because they, they, they don't want to have a focus on a foreign language um, because the czars at that time, they had become um, sort of fond of this thing called pan, um, pan-Slavism, which is Hell belief, yeah. <laughs> it's this belief, you know, that um, sort of that all the Slavic peoples held like, like a common bond um, sort, of, sort of on a racial a racial level um, but the czar also was a big fan of this because the czar believed that they were the head of that that, that sort of order you know that Russia was like the Ur-Slav um, so as the czar's duty was you know to to lead these people of all Slavs still... we are the Ur-Slav okay the we, we, best, we best Slav top Slav <laughs> Number one, sl- one number one Slav in Eastern Europe. Slav Hall of Fame, <laughs> top Slav. That would be a great, um, like, uh, fucking game show. Top Slav. Oh my God! With my Adidas tracksuit. With the Americas, they have top model. We have top Slav. I come wearing tracksuit with wife beater, gold chain, hairy chest. Yes. <laughs> so. 
Um, and we just and, got and banned in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> We were already probably banned in Russia. All three nah, people Putin that listen to us, us over there. <laughs> I fucking don't like him, but he loves if he, us. If he's gonna, if he's gonna like us, though, he needs to send us some of that Jill Stein money. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, that's sweet Jill Stein I need, money. Yeah, my George Soros check bounced this week, so yeah. George, George, <laughs> our, our George, George Soros, Soros money is not coming in. So if you're listening to us, Vladimir, we could use a hookup. Yeah, I'm listening. Oh man, as a Hunga- as as an ethnic Hungarian, but a American. Uh, George Soros, my god. <laughs> um, uh, early on, Trotsky is a, um, he, he's what's referred to as a Narodnik. Um, a Narodnik. A Narodnik. A Narodnik. Narodnik. <laughs> so It'd be better Narodnik if you just went with Nutnik <laughs> for the remainder of the episode. <laughs> so Trotsky is a real fucking Nutnik. <laughs> the, Little numb nuts, you know? The, the Narodniks were a revolutionary agrarian socialist populist movement. They were sort of like a predecessor um, to to sort of like a modern socialist party. Um, they, they're these sort of movements that pop up um, before things get codified more into to Marxist theory, um, where they want a lot of the things that socialists want, and they have an idea of them. But because Russia is not really an industrial society, um, they, they sort of focus on the agrarian aspect of it. Mm. Um, but but eventually his his first wife um, Alexandra uh, Sokolovskaya um, she she converts him over to Marxism um, she she sort of gets him um, sort of into it and then he he goes full into it um, he he eventually moves um, to this uh, this town called uh, Nikolaev which is on the Black Sea in Ukraine. Um, and he was originally planning on going to college for math, um, but instead he, he sort of devotes himself to organizing um, the South Russian Workers Union, which is like this large union in the area. So this guy's um, this, just like an all-out nerd. So in 1897, he just goes full bore into to sort of being a full-time revolutionary. How old was he? Um, so it Yeah, he would be about... Um, 18. Oh, shit. So you're, you're, telling me, you're telling me his, his chick turned him on to Marxism when he was, like, a junior in high school. But you gotta understand, at, at 17, I 18 years know. old, that's, you're well past midlife back in the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't know a lot about her, but he does marry her in, in 1899. So he, they, they probably did, she probably did, like, get him started on this. I thought he was bone and free to Kalo. <laughs> that's that's later. Oh, okay. Alright. Um, it's after she gets done with Rasputin and his massive dong piece. Oh my god. <laughs> this, this is the right time period for Rasputin. <laughs> yep. They're very close um, in age. I want to say they're only like maybe 15 years apart in age. Rasputin? Yeah. Gregory uh, yeah, Rasputin. But he, but, but he doesn't he doesn't hook up with Frida Kahlo until he goes to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, under the he, he sort of assumes the pen name of Lvov, um, which is which I believe is a variant on Leon. There's different in Lev. There's just all these different variations of it that pop up in in Eastern European um, like naming schemes. Oh, they um, have they have so many nicknames, dude. I think it's this just is a scam. Ri- it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and, and like the way like last names work and stuff too that they they change based on whether it's masculine or feminine. Yep. Um, so. He, he begins printing and distributing revolutionary pamphlets and works. Um, and then in um, January of the following year, in 1898, um, 
So more than 200 members of the union, including Trotsky, are arrested. Um, they were, he was held for about two years in prison awaiting trial. Um, initially in Nikolaev and then in uh, Kherson, Odessa, and finally in Moscow. Um, in the Moscow prison, he met other revolutionaries, um, and he, he heard about Lenin and Lenin's book, um, The Development of Capitalism in Russia. Um, because at this time, uh, because Marx wasn't really fond of, of Eastern Europeans, of Russians, uh, Mar Marx himself was a bit of a, a German um, nationalist. Um, he believed that the first um, sort of Marxist um, socialist countries that would come about would be Germany and the UK. Um, he, he did not have high hopes for Russia because Russia was just so backwater and undeveloped that his model of, of socialism couldn't exist there. So Lenin sort of writes this book after corresponding with Marx um, called The Development of Capitalism in Russia. I was about to say, you know, look how good this kid's doing at 18 years old. He's he's starting revolutions. He's printing revolutionary pamphlets. But when I was 18, I was well on my way of going to jail. And then it's like, oh, well, never mind. He went to jail, too. I guess, you know, he wasn't doing so much better than me. He, he's, the poster, <laughs> he's the poster child of Teen Vogue. <laughs> but, I mean, listen, not going to lie. The, he's young, the Jonathan Taylor Thomas of a, 18. I'm trying 70. to tell you, dude, a young Leon Trotsky's kind of hot, dude. Yeah, no, um, the, uh, what is it, that young Stalin photo? Oh, bro. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had that hair. My it's God. like that in uh, young Saddam Hussein. It's like, like people like lose <laughs> their shit. They're like, he's so sexy, and then you tell them who it is. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, that just, like, that just gets more people, because it's like those women who, like, correspond with serial killers. Mm. <laughs> so when um, do you get out? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, it, and while Trotsky is in prison, uh, March 1st through 3rd, 1898, um, the first Congress of the newly formed um, Russian Social Democratic Labor Party was held, um, which is this new political party which Trotsky identifies himself as a member of. Um, and then also, um, this is the party that Lenin is in as well. Okay. So this is sort of this is sort of a, a predecessor to what eventually becomes the the Soviet Communist Party. Lenin, dude. Lenin, um, bro. Hey, the, um, the following Vladimir Ilyinich Ulyanov. Steve, we should start a drinking game. So every time that Steve says Lenin, we should take a shot. We would never finish the podcast. <laughs> I'm so it would just be it would just be dead air as you two like both passed out, and, like, threw up on yourselves. It would like, be just like Stalin. <laughs> No, no, it would just drinking. turn into it would just turn into a soliloquy, where Steve's just talking, and like waiting, giving us time to respond. So there's these little gaps. I'll leave those in. <laughs> it could just be a very, very poorly done, like just random voice in, like, like exactly. <laughs> Go on. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, it, the following summer in 1899. Um, Trotsky buries Alexandra uh, Sokolov, Sokolov, uh, Sokolovskaya in a Jewish ceremony um, done in the prison, because they're both in, in the prison. I thought you said um, he buried her. I was like, what? Yeah, I think no, you said buried. Didn't you say buried? said married. Did he get her killed eventually? Was that like a Freudian slip? No. <laughs> actually... Bitch, they, I better you they, later. I'll, I'll get to that, but she... Uh, Stalin eventually kills her. It's just like that Facebook picture of that like 13-year-old says, 
I'd bury my dick in this bitch so so deep. <laughs> Whoever could pull it out would be crown king. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I bury my dick so far in that ass. Whoever could pull it out would be King Arthur or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Bant says B E R R Y. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, Lennon. I'll post that on our Facebook page so everybody can enjoy that meme. <laughs> no, um, do not post that. <laughs> it, eventually, in in 1900, Trotsky and his wife are, are allowed to be exiled together because they're married. Um, they're they're exiled to. So he gets um, out of jail. They they're yeah. Well, he, he's not get. He doesn't so much get out of jail as they just commute a sentence to. Uh, permanent probation, which is being exiled to Siberia. Right. Um, so, so him and his wife are, are sent out to to Uskut and uh, sorry, Kolensk, where? in the in the Baikal region, Lake region of Siberia. So really far, um, right up there in the far Siberian yoga. Lake Baikal. Oh, BFE. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, while they're while they're in exile, they have two daughters um, named Zenaida and Nina. Um, both of them don't. Both of them don't live as long as like Trotsky outlives like all of his children and especially his two daughters. Um, they they both die due to due to health reasons, um, tuberculosis and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it was there were just you know there was a lot of shit back then that could really get you real, <laughs> um, real quick. Fucking cold. So, I got the sniffles. Yeah, the full modern antibiotics. We are also living soup. in like a a frozen like hellhole. Sneezing at somebody's like attempted murder. I'm always interested in that because ostensibly people lived there for a very long time and survived. But was in, it like almost, Yeah. But yeah, was yeah. it almost like an evolutionary thing where like the toughest genetics made it out? Well, no, because like they like have nature predates it or something. I'm sure there's also parts that are Siberia that are entirely completely uninhabitable, but I'm sure well, these they people get, weren't there. They get supplies. They're they're sort of in the southern areas of of Siberia, you know, they're not on the Arctic Circle. Like Lake Baikal is is sort of um, what is today like the southern part of like of Russia. But but back then, you know, there was there was a little more territory. Um, I, really, I, really I wish exile was still a thing. Like, I spelled that right on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> so e- even though it's like incredibly cold up there, like it does it does get warm. There there are periods where it doesn't snow. Okay. Um, so you can you can live there. Like I said, I want exile to become a thing. I want to bring that back. Like if you're an asshole, we don't put you in prison. We just exile you. Nah, man, get the fuck out of here. Go see if you it's can live on your cheaper, own. It's a lot cheaper, but the yeah. problem is where do you send them? You to know? a fucking island Alaska. somewhere. Alaska. That's a good. You know, they'll be on. That then we'll have a bunch of criminals on, on no. life below no. zero. And no, that's my I favorite show. Want to Alaska. Just I, send them to some island in the I South to, Pacific and tell them you're on your own. Good luck. I, I hate to break it to you, but there's already a lot of like. <laughs> crazy yeah, that, types living in Alaska. Like anytime anyone goes there, like actually, they just tell me bunch. about like how like everybody there is like drunk all the time because it's so miserable living there, and it's just like a place full of. Aside from the crazy like pioneer like stock yeah. survivalist people, or the people who are like roughnecks. Yeah, the life it, below zero people. It it's sort of a Venn diagram between them and like people who are running away from something. Don't people in Alaska <laughs> also get paid? Like they get a check because of the oil up there or something like that? They they get a they essentially get like the equivalent of like UBI and, and they do this in some other places. Like uh, Macau they do this 
where it's sort of like excess like tax money that the government has like they just get they just get it given to them as like a a three thousand dollar check at the end of the year that's pretty cool but i think you have to do like there's a lot of um there's a lot of requirements you have to do like i i I forget exactly what it entails but it's not very easy to get oh so it's not just like you live there for a little while and then go knock on like you know like hey i need my money I'm pretty sure it's like in-state tuition now, where it's like almost impossible to get in-state tuition if you're from outside the state. Mm. Mm. Um, so back to um, Trotsky. Back to this and, other cold place that he's at. Um, at, at the time in the party, there's there's a sort of divide between what I call the economists, who are who are social democrats, who just want to focus on reforms for industrial workers and not revolutions. So they want to be more of like a traditional socialist, um, social democratic party where they wanted to gradually over time um, build up um, sort of Russian society to a point where communism naturally comes about. Um, but there's another faction who are um, who want to form a well-trained and organized revolutionary party that wants to like overthrow the czar and sort of institute their own system. And this is the faction that Trotsky sides with. Um it, while he's in exile, he begins writing for a London-based Russian newspaper called um, Iskra. The Daily which, Worker. Which translates as The Spark. Um, it, it's favored by the revolutionary faction of the RSDLP. Um, so this th- this paper, it, it publishes in, um, in London because it's illegal for it to be published in Russia since it's a revolutionary newspaper. Um, they, they can't print it locally, so they print it overseas and sort of smuggle it into Russia. What I'm hearing is that Russia needs some freedom. <laughs> um, in, in 1902, um, Trotsky, at, at sort of at his um, at the behest of his wife, um, he, he escapes si- Siberia by smuggling himself in a hay wagon. Um, eventually, his wife and daughters follow soon after. In a hay um, wagon as well? Uh, I, I don't think they used a hay wagon, but they, they do sneak out secretly because they're not allowed to leave. Um, around this time, uh, he, he starts going by the name Leon, um, which is a, a variation of his birth name, Lev. And then he also goes by the surname Trotsky. Um, no one's exactly sure who this Trotsky is that he takes the name from, because unlike Stalin, because if you're not familiar, Stalin means man of steel. Really? So when when Joseph Stalin changed his name, he 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 literally changed his name to Joseph Man of Steel. I did not know that's what Stalin meant. Um, but Trotsky uh, is thought that is probably like a jailer, like somebody like that. It's is sort of the the common story of who the name came from. Hmm. Um, eventually, Trotsky makes his way across Europe and gets to London. Um, where he starts writing for um, writing more for Iskra under the pen name Pero, which means feather in Russian. Hmm. Um, I, I, one of the reasons why he sort of gets out of Siberia as well is because he's been he's been corresponding with this this revolutionary newspaper, um, and it is possible, you know, that um, he can be further punished for doing that. Um, at at Iskra, um, he works alongside. Um, a couple notable early um, early communists like Georgi Plekov, um, Vladimir Lenin, and Julius Martov. Um, Plekhanov is the leader of sort of an old guard faction, while Lenin is the is the leader of sort of this new guard. 
Um, the the old guard were sort of these um, older revolutionaries who had left Russia earlier, um, and and they sort of had a different philosophy than the younger revolutionaries who came later. Um, so they're sort of divided on those those lines. Okay. Um, so so it's sort of based on the age of the people, because one group is older than the other, and also when they emigrated, because one had came before. Um, because Trotsky is younger, Lenin wants Trotsky to be an editor, because if if he's an editor, it would make there be seven editors, and it was and Lenin believed that Trotsky would side with him. So if that would give them a four to three sort of dominance of the editorial staff of the paper. Hmm. But but Plekhanov, who who essentially runs the paper, he blocks this. Of course. Later that year in 1902... Like a um, fantasy Tots- football trade request. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like... No, denied. No, yet. no fantasy... <laughs> yet. yet. <laughs> you cannot have Leonard Fournette. No. Yet. Yet. Yet on Fournette. Not refilled my vodka. Um, in, in late 1902, Trotsky's first marriage sort of falls apart, mainly due to them being separated and, and just sort of everything. It, it's, it's certainly considered to be an amy, um, an amical breakup. Um, it, it's not done under any sort of, like, they, they're, they're both sort of friendly with each other, so it, there, there's no bad blood between them. We Historians sort of lose track of her because... Um, she doesn't really do anything after, like, <laughs> after she divorced from Trotsky. It, it's believed that she becomes just like a teacher. Like, she just sort of goes about having a normal life. That's the greatest way you could have ever said that. Yeah, uh, without Trotsky, she wasn't doing shit. <laughs> and then, uh, eventually, uh, unfortunately, Fucking due to her, worthless. due, oh due to her association with Trotsky, um, she she's eventually jailed by Stalin. Yeah, you're so fucking worthless. We're gonna just throw you in jail. <laughs> he jailed her just because he she was associate. Well, we'll get to that, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a big part of the second half. Okay. Um, so Remember, Stalin wasn't a great guy. Stop spoiling everything, Steve. Stalin was not a fantastic individual. We'll just you know. Steve, spoiler there's like a, alert. There's like a fifteen. There's like a fifteen year rider on spoilers. So what was uh? <laughs> what was uh? Who was a comedian where it was like uh? Stalin, terrible person, but successful. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the worst thing ever. <laughs> Stalin killed 20 million people. Bad oh, person, yeah. Successful. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. It was somebody that was doing that about Hitler, and they were like, but he created the Autobahn. And I'm like, wow, okay. We're, uh, oh. we're not going to oh go down God. that road. So, uh. so after Trotsky's first marriage sort of disintegrates, he marries his second wife. Natalia Sadova, um, and he stays with Natalia for the pretty much the rest of his life. It's a true story that there are no unhot Natalias. I'm about to say Natalia sounds hot. They have <laughs> see, they have two. They have two sons, um, Lev and Sergey, and they take um, their Sergei. their mother's name Sadov. Sergey so Sadov. Lev Sadov and Sergey Sadov. Sergey Sadov sounds like a newscaster. I am Sergey Sadov with RT today. They they took their mother's surname because uh, Trotsky had taken it. Um, he he never actually like went by it in like in correspondence or, or or in sort of like in any way. He just took her surname because of his like revolutionary background for immigration purposes. Okay. So he he goes by he goes by that for that, and so his sons take on that name instead of his own name. 
Oh, makes sense. In in August of 1903, um, they have a second Congress of the RSDLP, and it's it's largely convened by the Iskra because they're sort of the main sort of the main organized body of the party at this point. And the revolutionary um, faction of the party just sort of asserts their dominance. So the, they debate um, at the Congress, they debate further allying with the Jewish Bund, which was sort of this Jewish um, revolutionary group that had been, that had co-founded the party originally, but they they had not joined the party. They wanted to remain separate. And so this, this sort of causes a rift in the party that eventually leads into the formation of the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. The Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks? Yeah, the Mensheviks. Mensheviks. I've never heard of the Mensheviks. I, I guess it's that's where Menchevik. I fell asleep in huh? Menshevik. 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 Isn't that is that like a Jewish, like the word mensch? Is that what that is? Well, no. Um, Bolshevik means the majority, and Menshevik means the minority. Okay. So, so Lenin. Are you saying when Bolshe- I call someone a mensch, like a real a guy's a real bench, I'm calling him a minority? No, you're calling him a, a good guy because because oh, okay. you're, you're they're false cognates. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> this is history, not an English podcast. <laughs> but uh, there, there are two words that sound the same, but they are different. Yeah, no, I got um, you. Uh, like a mensch is like a man. Um, so, <laughs> Lenin... He's like, no. <laughs> the more you learn with the trilateral troika... <laughs> uh, we need the uh, the star. We need an interactive podcast, so we need like the star to go across. Do, 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 dun, 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 dun. Lenin. The more you know. So your your boy Lenin, he led the Bolsheviks, and it, he wants like a smaller, leaner party. Um, he he just wants sort of the main party. A he thinner, wants it to be like be like organized, faster party, fat. Yeah, um, Martov led the Mensheviks, and he wanted a larger and less organized party. He essentially wants to make a big tent party. He wants to include this this Jewish Bund. And then some of the other um, socialist chaos. parties. He wants chaos. Bunt cake and all. Um, and then so um, Trotsky and most of the editors sided bunt with cake. the Mensheviks. <laughs> That's what he said, right? The Jewish bunt cake? No, Bund. Bund. Oh, Bund. Okay. Which I think is German for group, right? Yes. It, it means like group or, or association. I feel like we should, we need to refer to more people as Bunds. Because like, <laughs> like, remember we talked about the Spartacus Bund? Yes. Or yep. Bund. Sparta Bund. Correct pronunciation. Um, so Lenin, even though he, um, e- even though his his faction of the party are called the majority, they're actually the minority, um, because the the Mensheviks are, are sort of the dominant one. Uh, but but this eventually o- over time, um, there, there's a lot of switching and changing within the party, and eventually Trotsky leaves the Mensheviks in September of 1904 over a proposed plan of allying with Russian liberals and not reconciling with the Bolsheviks. Um, hmm. so, so he leaves the Mensheviks because they decide that they're going to try to ally with these Russian uh, liberal parties instead of making up with the Bolsheviks. Um, for, for largely until 1907 from this point, um, Trotsky sort of goes his own. He, he's sort of a radical centrist in a way, um, he, in, in that he's a radical and that he refuses to, to choose sides on these revolutionary parties. Mm-hmm. And he, he describes himself as a non-factional social democrat, and, and he tries to sort of mend the, the rifts and differences between all of these uh, groups. Um, but 
Lenin um, doesn't like this, and, and they sort of clash over this. What um, does he like? It just... Lenin is pretty much of the mind that, like, if these people don't want to follow him and be in his group, then they have no business being with him. Oh, okay. So Trotsky's more like, we, we, need, to, we need to, you know, reconcile. We, we need to make some, um, some sort of exchanges, you know. We, we have to be willing to compromise. Well, Lenin says, you know, there's no compromise. So Lenin's very hardline. Yes. Um, Trotsky also begins to develop his theory of, of what he calls permanent revolution, um, and this is sort of um, sort of a, an advancement of something Marx had come up with. Um, and, and basically what it boils down to is that um, normally in, in, in like under socialism, it would be the bourgeoisie who eventually start um, the, the country down the path of, of sort of a, a socialist revolution. Permanent revolution essentially states that the proletariat will have to start the revolution and, and this has to be done in places like Russia because the bourgeoisie is incapable of bringing about political democracy in Russia. Um, because mm-hmm. the bourgeoisie is bought so much and sort of into the czarist system, um, they, they can't really be relied upon to sort of begin democracy and then sort of the reforms that come with democracy that lead eventually to the implementation of communism. Right. God, they, were, real, they were like so a, many words you just used in that, that explanation in the last 30 seconds that I know what each one of them individually means. But when you put them together, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Basically, what he's saying is that if they left the bourgeoisie uh, in charge of it, it would be bougie. Bougie and as fuck. It would be way yeah. too bougie. It would be kind of <laughs> like... It would be kind of like Express for Men socialism, you know. You know, you would. There would the only place you could buy pizza at would be a California pizza kitchen, and nobody what? wants that. Okay, no, I need choice. I need Domino's and their their pizza tracker. Okay. Um. So Lenin Lenin really despises Trotsky during this period, and like he he says some like he he, he essentially um, says some bad things about Trotsky. You know, he he calls him like a traitor at times. Um, one thing that he likes to use and is often used a lot, I don't know if this is like a Russian thing, because Stalin would use it a lot, and he would often use it to describe Jews, and I didn't know if it was just because Stalin was very anti-Semitic. Was I'm to refer to them. anti-Semitism incoming, here we go. <laughs> it was about, refer to them as Judases. Oh, no, 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 because if you refer to... No, 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 that's no, just yeah, a biblical yeah. thing. Yeah, that's a Jesus Well, no, because he, he associates it with the Jews. Because he said, like... Because he was talking to a guy, and the one thing I read, this guy who was, like, interviewing him, and he says, like, the, the guy who's interviewing him is Jewish. He's, like, a German-Jewish writer. And he says to him, you know, that's one thing you, you all Jews have in common. He says, the Judas, or whatever. Okay, see, that's the anti-Semitism, is when you say that's but, what you all Jews have in common. But if you just call somebody a Judas, I'm pretty yeah, sure you yeah, just call him a Yeah, if you just call him a Judas, it's not, yeah, it's that's, not that's a big nothing. deal. Yeah. Lenin, Lenin is also from, like, a, 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 from a somewhat Jewish background, He's non-practicing, and I don't think he grew up in a religious household, but his sister, Lenin's sister, had to remind Stalin at some times, you know, that Lenin was actually, you know, um, considered Jewish. Hey, hey, psst, by the way, listen, hey, 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 Joe, Joey, listen, come here, that guy, <laughs> he's actually Jewish. Um, <laughs> during during this period as well, um, around, around this is around the time of, like, the Russo-Japanese War, um... So what what happens in the Russo-Japanese War is that Russia and Japan go to war and like Russia gets their shit kicked in by Japan. <laughs> um, Japan 
Japan sinks the Far Eastern fleet of Russia. Um, at, at one point, one of their battle cruisers is taken out by a Russian mine. Like the Russians, like take out their own ships with mines. At one point, what is this um, fucking Three Stooges warfare? I that's think going on? I think then, it's because Russian ships were actually made out of wood. It's not right? Polish. Oh, no, 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 they were, they were, these doors. were modern, these were modern, like, battleships. Yeah, modern wooden battleships. <laughs> Dude, they even had, even during the Civil War, the battleships were like, or the quote-unquote battleships were like, still steel, weren't they? Yeah, they had a, they usually had, like, steel plates on them. They yeah. have a wooden inner frame. Yeah, um, wooden but, steel. But because, it, they're... <laughs> There's a large... The worst kind of right. You're technically right. <laughs> there, the worst kind also, of fucking right. There's also a long and incredibly bloody ground war that goes on in, in China between Russia and Japan um, that, that causes riots to break out in Japan over over the peace terms when peace is actually made because uh, the Japanese people felt that Japan didn't get enough in the peace treaties, which they did get a lot, uh, mostly because other European nations didn't want Japan upsetting the apple cart too much. Um, and in Russia, there's this sort of revolution in 1905. It's called the 1905 Revolution. And it, it happens in St. Petersburg. And during this period, Trotsky had conceived of what he called the Soviet, which, which as I explained before, is a nonpartisan elected council of workers. So these workers are not party members. Um, it, it's sort of like all the workers are in a union, and this is the people they choose to like represent them. No, pol- no politics involved. Yeah, like there's no political parties, but the Soviet would be the people who would, you know, control the factory. Like they would decide what the factory would do and what it would produce. Um, And they would also determine things like worker pay and things like that. And then they would also, and and they would also represent the factory to outside um, forces. So they would also deal with anybody, you know, who wanted to do business with the factory or in allying with other factories. Gotcha. Um, How it should be. The workers control the means of production. Anyway. And uh, during this time, the Mensheviks also come up with this um, sort of theory. And they bring it um, They bring it about in St. Petersburg. Um, and, and they form the St. Petersburg Soviet. Or, or is, I, yeah, I believe it is St. Petersburg at that time still. But, he, um, but during this um, sort of meeting of the Soviet, which Trotsky goes to, um, he's arrested along with everybody else there. Um, the, the the revolution is pretty quickly crushed. Um, going back again, the, the bourgeoisie didn't really support them. Um, the sort of liberal parties like the cadets, who are sort of these constitutionalists, and, and some of these other parties as well as like the far-right um, political people who support the czar crush this revolution. Hmm. Um, in, in 1906, Trotsky is again exiled to Siberia. Um, and then a, a year later, he escapes again to London. <laughs> How many times has um, this dude been kicked out of Russia to go to Siberia? It, it happens a lot with a lot of these like <laughs> early communists. Like if you look at their their sort of backgrounds, like Stalin as well. Oh, you pesky there. Trotsky, you back? Will we kick you out again? Bye bye. It's it's sort of. Let like, someone get Leon the fuck out of here. <laughs> he's just, drunk again. He's he's just like yeah, I had to go pick up my mail and now I'm out. <laughs> no, I'm just back. I forgot to my keys. That's it. <laughs> In. In, in London in 1908, um, Trotsky joins the editorial staff of a paper called uh, Pravda, um, which translates ah, to truth. I'm familiar with Pravda. Actually, Is it the well, same Pravda? 
this is this is a, a previous iteration of Pravda, which we'll get to, which is some major some major shade right, from the Bolsheviks. Ahead. Oh no. <laughs> um, so so Pravda is a, a biweekly Russian language social democratic paper for Russian workers. Trotsky, again, he, he wants it to be non-factional. He, he wants it to represent all the factions, all the sides, um, just just sort of be this overarching revolutionary paper. And I feel like um, just to just to, uh, as a point here to add in, um, Pravda, the translated means truth. Yes, um, there there is there used to be a joke in the Soviet Union that there's no truth in the news and there's no news in the truth. And referring to the Pravda. Yeah, because when you say it in Russian, it's essentially there's, there's, there's no news, or there's no. Basically, there's no it comes Pravda out like this. There's no, no Pravda news. in the news, and there's no news in the Pravda. Gotcha. No um, news is good news. Oh. And uh, Trotsky, hey, Stalin was asking about you, buddy. <laughs> Trotsky, Trotsky eventually tries to get funding for the paper. Um, from the Central Committee of the RSDLP. Right, but he goes to that committee and someone in the back room goes, would someone get Leon the fuck out of here? <laughs> um, so, hey, by, I'm back! Like, <laughs> I just forgot my keys. <laughs> well, because... I think I left them on the bar. But, listen, while I'm here... In, in 1910, the, the Central Committee had become dominated by the Bolsheviks, um, and the Bolsheviks agree to fund the paper as long as a Bolshevik is, is a co-editor, and they they send uh, Lev Kamenev, who <laughs> Kamenev is the brother-in-law to Trotsky. Um, there must always be a Bolshevik in Winterfell. <laughs> uh, uh, um, We're just laughing. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> so Kamenev and, and Trotsky don't really get along, um, and then they. Kamenev eventually resigns that August after um, differences with Trotsky, and the paper folds in April of 1912 because they don't have um, they they don't sort of have the funding due to the Bolsheviks uh, breaking off. Mm. Um, in in January of 1912, um, the the Bolsheviks sort of break away from the main party and they form their own party that's just Bolsheviks. Okay. Um, Trotsky very, very sort, sort of again tries yeah, right. tries to restore unity to the party, um, but he fails. Um, and in April, uh, on April twenty second of that year, um, the party creates its own paper called Pravda, <laughs> and, and this outrages Trotsky because that was his paper, and his paper had like literally just folded. What is this bullshit? So as soon as this paper starts being published, um, they they start making their own Pravda. And now was he? He was still in Russia at this time. He wasn't already no. He's in again. he's in London. Okay, so like, when he finds so, out there. So when, they, so when he finds like, out that they are remaking his paper, oh, this yeah. bullshit! I go back. Will somebody get leave? Well, well, like well, imagine, no, imagine well, you no. rage against the machine, and you break, you get like broken up somehow, and then Paul Ryan starts rage against the machine. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, well, the thing you have to remember you could too not have is made that like, the machine any less cool in that moment. <laughs> most most of these like revolutionaries are not in Russia, so all of these people doing these things are all in like London. They're all overseas. They're all in other places in Europe. Hmm. So they're not even in the. Co- wow, that's some troll shit right there. They're not even in the country. They're just they're just sowing dissent from from a couple thousand miles away. 
yeah, because they can't they can't do it in the country. They'd be killed. So they're they're sort of trying to to stabilize the government from outside. And then they do go. Some of them do operate within. Like Stalin is robbing banks in Russia at this time, um, and, and some of them are working within the country. But most of them are, are sort of outside of the country when they're they're sort of producing these works. Right. Um, so Trotsky is is really mad about them sort of stealing his paper. And, and he writes a letter to, to Nikolai uh, uh, Chikadez, who's a, who's a Menshevik leader, um, and he denounces Lenin and the Bolsheviks in this letter. Um, but what happens is is that the Russian secret police, the, the Okhrana, um, they they intercept this letter and they make um, they, they make a copy of it and put it in their archives. And then Stalin eventually uses this letter against Trotsky in 1924. Hmm. Um, and then, um, after sort of his his paper that he was in charge of sort of defaults, um, he becomes a reporter for this um, for this paper, this Russian language paper um, called Kievskaya Misel, which I believe is it's something like Kiev News. Um, and he does this before the outbreak of World War One, um, and, and he's sort of like a Balkans like correspondent, like he goes to the Balkans and sort of um, reports on what's going on there. But when World War One breaks out, he's in Austria and he has to flee to Switzerland because he's still a Russian national. And if he had stayed in Switzerland, he would have been put in jail. Or no, if he had stayed in, if he had stayed mm. in Austria, he would have been put in jail. Um, eventually in Swiss, eventually in Switzerland, though, um, he he is sent to France in order to report on the war um, because he's a Russian. He can legally be in France, um, and then during that time. He begins um, editing a socialist newspaper in Paris in 1915 called uh, Nasha Slovo, which means our word. So what was the opinion of uh, socialism at the time, at that time specifically? Um, we have to remember this is during that same period where the Socialist Party is the dominant party in Germany. Um, people obviously, you know, people from moneyed interests, people, conservatives don't like them. Um, but at that time... Um, there are some divisive ones, but there are also sort of establishment socialists. And also, um, what do we when you when we say socialist in regards to like nineteen fifteen? What what do we mean when we say socialism? Because I'm sure it's not what we think of today, like you know UBI and you know universal healthcare and stuff like that. Well, it is it is that because because remember like um, they they want like a universal insurance program, they want universal healthcare. Um, a lot of those things that sort of get put in place that Germany has today come from this period. Really? Okay. Okay. So socialism back then really it, compared it is to very today much hasn't like changed a lot. Eight hour, eight hour work week. Um, a, I'm sorry. A, a how minimum, long? A, a, a forty hour work week, an eight oh hour work day. Oh my god! Um, I was going to say an eight hour work week. I'm on board. A, yeah. A, sort of a, a minimum a wage. A minimum wage is actually like a livable wage. Um, these, these are all things that they're sort of fighting for. Um, so Tr- Trotsky's sort of uh, slogan for his uh, for his paper and sort of what he wants is peace without indemnities or annexations, peace without conquerors or conquered. The annexation of Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anytime I hear the word annexation, it's all I can think of is fucking. So the first giants. thing I think of, too. First thing. <laughs> in in September of 1915, Trotsky goes to this anti-war. Um, socialist conference called the Zimmerwald conference in um, in Switzerland 
Um, so at this conference, he sort of takes the middle line. Um, Lenin is at this conference because because Lenin and a lot of these sort of radical socialists are sort of on the outs um, because all the mainline socialist parties have sort of gone full bore into the war. You know, they support their countries and and, and Lenin and, and these other sort of radicals like they don't support the war in any way. Um, so Lenin advocates um, for Russia's defeat in the war. And also for he he wants a, a third socialist international to be called. Um, it's okay. So the first the first international was formed in 1864, um, and it was an international collective of anarchists, communists, socialists, and trade union groups. Um, it eventually dissolved in 1876 um, over tensions between moderates and revolutionaries. That's um, a long time. Yeah, just 12 years. Yeah, that's it. That's um, like that's longer than Limp Biscuit. <laughs> but it's longer to, than goddamn Obama was president. But this is also supposed to be like a like it the the internationals are supposed to be like a congress of all these different revolutionary parties around the world, all these socialist parties, um, for them to work together in order to like bring about socialism. Dude, you saw what happened in the wire when they got the Congress together. Prop <laughs> oh Joe <God>. died. <laughs> <laughs> is you taking fucking notes on a criminal fucking conspiracy? <laughs> oh man oh, I was just God. waiting for like Stringer Bell to be, just stand up and be like would someone get Leon the fuck out of this room <laughs> um <laughs> hey still your way wait why you so listen don't be so rough buddy I think I left why my keys by so the bar so apprehensive I get McNulty <laughs> I left my keys by the bar I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm going um and the the, the second international was formed on July 14th, 1889 in Paris, um, and it largely excluded anarchists. They, they sort of don't allow the anarchists to come. Uh, they, it's just mostly socialists and, and sort of labor union groups. That's kind of the true story about anarchists anyway. They get kicked out of everything. Or just they just get kicked out of everything. Like, like, we get it, but get the fuck out of here. You keep breaking shit. So, so um, real quick, just kind of like an overview, just going back real fast. These socialist... Um, um, what would you say, like, quote-unquote congresses, they were just kind of basically just trying to strengthen the socialism and or socialism, like, worldwide? Yeah, and, and the first international, Marx was at it. Was it kind of like a socialism, like a UN, ver- or like a socialist version of the UN, kind of? Yeah, it's like a, a socialist UN. Um, and, and these, uh, there is still, like, a socialist international today. It is not, like, it is not affiliated with these um, internationals, like it's not, and and it like an extent version of one of them. Yeah. But it is, it, it's sort of the same idea. Okay. Um, and 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 largely those are more of, um, just just sort of like meeting up and like talking about talking about things, like exchanging theories. Whereas um, the third international, which is formed soon after the second international fa- uh, fails, um, sort of becomes the the common turn. Okay. Which is the the Communist wow. International, uh, which is sort of like, which eventually becomes the the Soviet Union, essentially trying to instigate like revolution in other countries. Um, so the the Second International falls apart in 1916, um, and this is mainly due to all the socialist parties taking on nationalist and pro-war agendas. So these these parties just sort of come at odds with each other because they're no longer sort of going for the internationalism that socialism is supposed to be built upon. Um, they're, they're just sort of gone full bore into being patriotic, and, and that's problematic for the socialist agenda. I mean, of course. 
On April 31st of 1916, because Trotsky went to this party, he is deported from, um, here he went to this conference, he is deported from France to Spain for his anti-war activities. I'm not even going to say it. Um, and then, to, to make things worse, once he's in Spain, um, the, the Spanish don't want him either, even though Spain is not participating in My God, war. he must be the fucking worst person what? ever, what dude. They, fucking they, dude that everybody's like, no, we don't want, no, we don't want him here. He, he gets deported on, on Christmas. How many times to, was he deported, Steve? Do you have a tally? Oh, oh we'll, we'll get to it. He, okay. You're still another episode, to, don't forget that. He's deported to the U.S. Um, so, <gasps> oh, shit. And on January 13th, 1917, he arrives in New York City, um, and there he begins writing in local Russian Russian language and Yiddish newspapers. No, you guys won't believe this Times Square that I've seen. <laughs> he, he's in, uh, he, he, he eventually settles in Brooklyn, but he's not there for very long, um, because soon after he arrives in America, he hears about the Tsar being overthrown in the February Revolution. Oh, I thought you were going to um, so say he wasn't in Brooklyn very long because he got beat the fuck up because it hasn't been gentrified yet. Probably. Some 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 hostages, <laughs> some hostages like, beat him around. <laughs> beat the shit out of him. You Russian fuck. Because <laughs> they didn't show, uh, he didn't have a big enough hat and his, his locks were lacking. Um, <laughs> his girls were down to the bottom of his earlobes. So, because he hears about the Tsar being overthrown and, and Kerensky's government is, is put into place, the provisional government, he leaves New York on March 27th for Russia, but on the ship going to Russia, he's intercepted by the British. And the British know who he is, and he is detained in Canada. Um, they detain him at this um, Amherst internment camp in Nova Scotia, um, which is a prisoner of war camp for um, sort of Germans that have been um, captured by the, the British and also, I believe, like British sailors that have been captured by the British, or German sailors that have been captured by the British and put into this camp. Mm -hmm. But he, he eventually becomes a problem for them because, um, because Trotsky is very charismatic and he begins making these like socialist anti-war speeches and sort of, sort of riling up all the soldiers because remember he speaks German. Um, and they, they ban him from speaking like he, he's not allowed to make any like public speeches, but a bunch of soldiers sort of write a like they they write a petition to the wardens uh, like asking for him to be able to speak again, um, and eventually because they're just tired of his bullshit, um, they they free him on April 29th, nineteen seventeen because they they don't want to deal with him anymore. And he was in New York, you said. No, he was in he was in Nova Scotia. Oh, he's in so Nova he was Scotia. in Canada. Yeah, um, and then so uh, on May seventeenth, he he eventually reaches Russia. And <laughs> hey, joins... go get Leon out of there! We're, we're tired of his bullshit, day. <laughs> hey there, you need to stop with that. Hey, um, Liv, is your name Liv? Oh, Leon, get the fuck out! Hey, oh, would someone a... get Leon the fuck out of here? <laughs> that's an odd one there. Anyways, you need to get the fuck out. We're gonna go ahead and deport you now, okay? All right. Yeah, take a couple uh, Molson Oldens for the road, okay? Jeez, you fucking hoser. Um, <laughs> and and when Trotsky gets to Russia, he joins the Bolsheviks. Um, hey, I'm back. Y'all miss me? It's funny because if you asked me whether Trotsky was in the Bolsheviks from day one, I would have said yes because I don't know shit. Yeah, not a motherfucking thing. That's exactly why we're doing this podcast. We're learning. <laughs> um, it, essentially, what what happens over time is, and this happens to a lot of like 
socialists like him during this period is because you know of the failure of the main European socialist parties. Um, he, he's just driven more and more to sort of the radical um, sort of sense that Lenin has. You know that all the other socialists, you know that they're that they can't be trusted. You know that it just needs to be this one party with its singular vision to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he he participates in a failed um, uprising in Petrograd on August seventh, uh, nineteen eighteen. Um, he is jailed. But he is freed 40 days afterwards because essentially what happens is is the head of the military Kornilov, um, there there's sort of this uh, affair where he he attempts to overthrow the government and Kerensky foolishly allies with the with the Bolsheviks um, because the he was usually at odds with the Bolsheviks and he lets out um, Bolshevik prisoners. Hmm. Um, so Trotsky only spends like 40 days um, in jail. <laughs> they got tired of his bullshit again. Yeah, we're gonna um, need to transfer you to another cell block. Um, this is what um, this is what Stalin said about Trotsky and Pravda on November sixth, nineteen eighteen. Um, he said all practical work in connection with the organization of the uprising was done under the immediate direction of Comrade Trotsky, the president of the Petrograd Soviet. It can be stated with certainty that the party is indebted primarily and principally to Comrade Trotsky for the rapid going over of the garrison to the side of the Soviet and the efficient manner in which the work of the Military Revolutionary Committee was organized. I'm going to have to have you get way drunker before you read that because I do not believe that was Stalin. Well, he was writing it. <laughs> Stalin, Stalin <laughs> actually can, did. You can slur your speech. <laughs> Yeah, the work of military revolutionary with the organization (laughs) is Trotsky is bad. So after this, um, after the October Revolution, which happened soon after this, um, Mm -hmm. Trotsky allies with Lenin, and he pushes against attempts to to ally the party with others, and becomes the second man in the party. Steve, you know what I feel like right now, dude. I feel like you're reading to me the entirety of the 90s WWF like, storyline, <laughs> you know? Just The Undertaker. And that was is, when JR realized man. he's battling Kane, and then Big Boss Man's a villain, now he's a face. Mankind so what you don't realize is, just as JR, JR realized at that moment that that music he heard it was, in fact, Stalin's music. Oh, God, that's Stalin's music! Oh, my God, that's Stalin's music! <laughs> oh, he killed him. All right, go ahead. Um, it, so, it, when he becomes the second man in the party, um, he became what's called the People's Commissar for Foreign Affairs. Um, it, a lot of times in communist governments, and, and sort of today, like in China, this is very common, where you sort of have a, a non-party representative at a level for a government and you have a party representative and usually the person who's the party representative is the actual person controlling things um so he's the people's commissar a commissar is a political officer Mm -hmm. um and he once he immediately becomes that he finds all the secret treaties that the entente had with the kerensky government so the kerensky had made all these sort of agreements um with the entente saying that he would do what they wanted him to do um, so that Russia could still keep getting um, shipments of supplies and goods from them. Okay. Because because at this time, after the, the October Revolution happened, the sort of the Soviet Union is formed, 
Um, the Entente is actually fighting in the Soviet Union. There, there are Americans, there are Japanese, um, there, there are French troops that are fighting and British troops that are fighting against uh, the Bolsheviks. Seems kind of unfair. Um, this, this doesn't really happen until later on because they're still at war with Germany. Um, but, but after sort of um, they make peace with Germany, um, they, they sort of move in and support what eventually becomes the whites, the, the white um, factions. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And Trotsky is also the leader of the delegation that's sent to, to Brest-Litovsk to, to sort of negotiate the treaty. Um, at, at first, uh, Lenin wants him to make like, like peace sort of as quickly as possible um, because he doesn't want the, the Germans to take more and more territory. Um, but but there's sort of a ceasefire at the time, and Trotsky is is pretty adamant that um, revolutions are going to break out in Germany, which they do. But he believes that they'll break out to a point that the Germans will no longer be able to fight. You know that that the home front will be so messed up that the German army will be recalled, or that the German soldiers will will just mutiny. Uh, okay. But because the the Germans um, soon after the because he keeps delaying and delaying the signing of a treaty. Um, the ceasefire expires, and the Germans keep fighting, and the Red Army is not really able to fight them because it's very disorganized. Um, they don't have officers, um, so they're, they're not really able to really fight the Germans. They don't have officers? What is this, a bunch of dudes with rifles running around? It, it's essentially like a Soviet where the soldiers just decide democratically um, what they're going to do. Okay, now, and, and you, I'm all about socialism, but there's definitely a part where you need to have some leaders saying, look, all you fucking clowns, go attack this. Don't five you go here, ten you go over there. No. Because what, what happens is is that when they're put in situations where it's not advantageous for them to fight or defend a position, they, they just abandon it or not fight. Yeah, um, yeah so, nah. so So they fall apart pretty quickly. Um, the Germans are able to take a lot of territory, um, and... Um, they, they make the peace treaty that eventually happens. Um, and because of, um, because of Trotsky being a proponent of um, not making peace, um, he resigns from his position um, soon after the peace treaty is signed. So Trotsky would uh, rather die than make peace, huh? Well, no, he, he resigns from it because he had gone against what the policy was. So because he had gone against it, he didn't want to be – he didn't want to have that association with the position. Ah, uh, okay. He didn't want to be seen as going against what the final will of the people was, because by the end he also supported it because he knew that um, it, it wasn't going to turn out like he thought it would. But because he was so adamant that it would, he, he sort of um, resigns in embarrassment. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, so at this time, like I said, the Red Army is in shamble, in shambles. They they aren't organized, and they have to fight the Whites. Um, so the Whites are sort of these um, czarist generals. That, that sort of kept control of their men soon after um, the provisional government is declared. Um, their men are loyal to them, and they sort of become warlords. Um, though they're referred to as sort of like this this faction, um, they're actually a bunch of smaller factions. They don't really coordinate, um, which which is one of the reasons why they fail, is because even though there's numerically more than um, the Soviets, um, they, they just really can't... Um, can't bring the same numbers that the soviets can to single engagements right and, and so they, they begin recruiting more men um the red army goes from three hundred thousand to one million men um and trotsky becomes sort of the um the the head of the military at this point he, he becomes in charge uh, of sort of building it up 
Um, and one of the ways he, he sort of decides that um, to sort of improve the army is to bring back um, sort of ranks. And also he's a proponent of bringing in um, former czarist officers into the army, ones that um, aren't with the whites, um, ones that are just sort of around that, that aren't doing anything that they hadn't really approached because, you know, they weren't revolutionaries and sort of getting them to join the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to watch them, he, he introduces political commissars. And the, the commissar's job is to guide and watch the military experts. So to make sure, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and making sure they're not doing anything that is not... Um, Super communist? Yeah, so anything that's, like, not against what they what they should be doing. Okay. And, and so they're hall monitors. Kind of. Where's your bathroom uh, pass? Fuck off. <laughs> a, a, a commissar is kind of like a, a combination of, of that, and then also a, a um, like a chaplain. Okay. Um, they they give like they give like revolutionary speeches. Um, they give revolutionary lessons. So they they sort of educate you on um, stuff. Like if you've seen the Hunt for the Red October, um, at the beginning of the movie when they go out to sea or whatever, the commissar has them watch like the propaganda movie about like how terrible the U.S. is. Like that—that's the type of thing that the that the commissar does. You guys, better watch huh. this. Just just in case you didn't know. You think we're bad? Look at these assholes. Well, let me show you how bad these Americans are. They have pretty women. They have alcohol. Who wants to cheat? They are—they are, they are at, a nation of gangsters. Look at Michelin Man. Why does he need tires if he has feet? <laughs> Michelin Man looks like he is giant tire. I'm going to stop you there, Steve, because the Michelin Man is a product of French decadence. Uh-oh. <laughs> he's, a, he's a French character. He's not an American character. Don't, don't steal away the icons of France. Would do someone get Steve the fuck out of here? <laughs> do not, do, <laughs> do not um, culturally appropriate the Michelin Man, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> Hands off. Hands off, Yankee. Hands Yankee, off. And, and soon after, sort of this reorganization of the Red Army is going on, um, on August 17th of 1918, the head of the Petrograd Cheka, the, the Cheka is like the, the predecessor to the KGB, it, it's the secret police, um, Moise uh, Aritsky, um, he's assassinated. Um, on August 30th, um, uh, Lenin is shot by a woman named Fania Kaplan. Um, Lenin is shot three times. Um, one bullet passes through his coat. Um, but the other two strike him. Uh, one passes through his neck, puncturing um, puncturing part of his left lung and stopping near his right collarbone. The other lodges in his left shoulder. Ain't no 50 cent. He ain't get shot eight times. Was it eight times? Five um, times? How many times did 50 uh, cent get shot? <laughs> for, yeah, he got shot a bunch, but he also <laughs> had like modern American medical science to protect him. And one of the things that happens and with vitamin Lenin... Water. Is that they don't want to take Lennon to a hospital after he's shot. What? Because, because they're afraid that there might be other conspirators in the assassination. Well, so yeah. they have doctors brought to him. Um, and then so because of that, he's always sort of in poor health for the rest of his life. Uh-huh. Um, and, and he also doesn't really make a lot of public appearances. But because he was shot in the throat, um, in, the, in the neck, I should say, not... Not actually stroke, because I'm sure if it had, had punctured his throat, he probably would have died. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does affect the way he speaks. Do we, now, do we have any audio recordings of this guy? Of Lennon? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah. Oh, okay, we do? Okay. 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there are any of him after his um, after the assassination attempt because, like I said, he was very conscious about it and he he didn't want to be in public after it because it affected the way he spoke. And he was also, um, especially after he has his strokes, is bound in a wheelchair. Mm, okay. um, there's there's a period later on we'll get to where where Lennon has about like three strokes within a span of a couple months. God damn! So he's just he just Tim Curry it up, huh? Yeah, he he's deteriorating. Ah. Um, so after this, um, they they implement what's called the Red Terror. Ooh, it sounds good. Um, and, and Trotsky sort of describes this as. In his own words, uh, the bourgeoisie today is a failing class. We are forced to tear it off, to chop it away. The Red Terror is a weapon utilized against a class doomed to destruction, which does not wish to perish. If the White Terror can only retard the historical rise of the proletariat, the Red Terror hastens the destruction of the bourgeoisie. That was incredibly um, immature to snicker at retard, but okay. The Red Terror also has a fucking nasty figure for Letlock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the Red Terror's music! <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> He's got a family! The, the, the Red Army and the Cheka will be the ones who will carry out this wave of repressions. Um, and on September, um, in September of 1918, martial law is declared... Um, as the the Red Ar- Army is further reorganized. Is it like um, Michael Scott? Does somebody just stand up and go, I declare <laughs> martial law? Pretty much. <laughs> Trotsky stands up and they're like, and then Stalin just like puts his hand on his forehead and it's like, there he fucking goes again. Jesus Christ, you can't <laughs> well, just someone make it. <laughs> someone get Trotsky to fuck up. <laughs> someone get Trotsky out of Goddamn Russia! Um, Trotsky eventually becomes the chairman of the Revolutionary Military Council, um, which makes him essentially in charge of the military. Trotsky, during this period as well, will clash with uh, Stalin um, because there, there's a there's an incident where he sends a former um, Tsarist general, uh, Pavel Pavelit, uh, Pavelvich um, Seton, to take command of the Southern Front, which Stalin had been in charge of. Um, but Stalin refuses to accept him, and which forces uh, Seton to be recalled. Um, so uh, Stalin is actually like a general during this period, and his defense of the city of Volgograd, um, which is what it's named today, um, it, that city gets named Stalingrad because of his defense of the city. Wow. Um, so, so even before he goes like full on into the cult of personality, the city is renamed Stalingrad, sort of in his honor, since he he defended it against the the whites. Hmm. Um, hmm. And and so the the Red Terror, as it's carried out, is mainly aimed at um, internal enemies, um, so workers and peasants um, who they believed were undermining the revolution. Um, and, and exactly what that means is, is sort of nebulous. Um, and so it's mostly opposition to what is called war communism because of what's going on in the Soviet Union. They have to fight this war against all of these different white factions against the Entente. Um, they have to worry about um, sort of foreign nations like Finland or the, or the Baltic countries from from just taking territory or Poland taking territory from Russia. Um, they begin sort of implementing what we think today of as as communism. Um, they, they nationalize all industries, um, and they introduce strict centralized management of those industries. 
Um, they, they introduce state control of foreign trade. They, they sort of, they implement a strict discipline for workers and forbid strikes. And they also have obligatory labor duty um, for all non-working classes. So if you're not already a factory worker um, or a farmer, um, you can be sent to do that work. Like they, they just sort of put you in a truck and then take you to the factory and make you work. <laughs> good, um, good to work. One of the most unpopular things they introduce is the requisition of agricultural surplus. And this is anything that's in, in excess of the absolute minimum, which is pretty much nothing. So they, they take the they take whatever the peasants farm and then they take it to a centralized distribution point and then they just send it to the cities first and then eventually, if at all, it gets back to the peasants. Um, so the peasants are now farming, but they're not really getting like what they're farming. Rationing of food and most commodities is introduced with centralized distribution, um, private enterprises banned, um, and eventually military style um, control of the railways is introduced. Um, Isn't this that last... the makings of the Holodomor? Uh, that's much later. That's much later. That, okay. uh, that's under Stalin in the five year plans. What does okay. military style control of the railways mean? It, it means that essentially, that if you're like a conductor for the railroad, that, that you're almost treated like an officer in the military. So you have to have like military like discipline. You, you have an officer that's above you and, and sort of like there's there's a military style chain of command. Really? Okay. Because um, before this, um, the railways were, were sort of private enterprises. Um, so, so this is sort of implementing um, sort of this, this regiment. Okay. Um, and this lasts until March 21st of 1921 when the new economic policy is implemented, which we'll talk about at the end. Okay. It, this is very unpopular, especially among peasants, because um, because of the winter and, and sort of um, the peasants don't really have enough to survive. The government comes to take away their grain, and they sort of resist, and that's when the repressions start. Um, there, there are also different levels of of sort of peasant, uh, of sort of farmer that are considered. One of them that becomes um, quite infamous later on is was referred to as a kulak. Yeah. Referred to as a what? Yeah, a kulak. kulak. A kulak is like a wealthy farmer, not not exactly a landlord, but just somebody who has enough land that they can easily farm enough for their family and then have stuff left over to make money. Okay, so somebody who's who's basically well off. Yes, and these these well off farmers, um, they're they're sort of enemies of the state at this point. Like Lenin at times authorizes like the hanging of some of these kulaks, um, but they become a major um, a major point of like Stalin's campaigns. Um, authorized the, the, cool, the hangings of them just because they made a little extra money well because they refused to requisition like they refused to give their grain to the to the red army or whoever comes oh. to pick it up there he's just like if they don't cooperate like hang them okay and, and a lot of this happens um farmers will, will like destroy grain and stuff like that and, and sort of in protest of what's going on or kill their animals um because they don't agree to these controls um and it just causes like a wave of violence and repression in the countryside Fair. And at this time, too, um, Trotsky is beginning to catch criticism for his conduct of the war. So he is succeeding, um, but he is very abrasive, and um, he, he makes a lot of enemies, um, including Stalin, as we've talked about. You know, Stalin sort of resents him. Um, Stalin also doesn't like him because he's, like, becoming more powerful than Stalin, and Stalin has been with the Bolsheviks for a long time, whereas Trotsky has not been with them as long. 
Hey, hey, who, who, who is this bullshit Leon Trotsky fuckhead? I've, look, I've been here much longer what, with these stupid <coughs> fucking glasses and stupid um, fucking haircut. I will but, make him drink until he pisses himself. <laughs> but one of the things, too, about Stalin is is that Stalin is very, like, cold and calculating in that he will, he will sort of pick his enemies wisely. Like, he knows who can stand up against him or who could be an obstacle to him in the future and he will sort of zero in on them far down the line to to sort of get them removed i'm watching you leon eventually the red army grows to about three million soldiers and is fighting on 16 fronts holy shit um the the red army eventually they push one of the factions which is led by um admiral kolchak um, they, they force his uh, troops beyond the Ural Mountains, so they push him far enough east um, mm. after he tries to do a spring offensive. Uh, the, the Red Army Commander-in-Chief, who's sort of the actual like general, um, Jacums uh, Vassieres, um, he wants to halt the offensive um, in pursuit of Kolchak's forces um, to focus on the south. Um, because he thinks, you know, like they're they're going into Siberia. We should let them go. We should deal with um, what's going down in the south, sort of in like the Ukraine area, um, sort of secure that. Um, the opposition, though, the the people who are opposed to um, Vasiedis, um, they want to secure Siberia before winter because they know if they don't secure it um, soon, they're not going to be able to pursue him further, and it might be possible for him to like dig in or, or get away further. Um, so Trotsky, because a lot of the people who are against Vasietis are people who Trotsky had clashed with in the past, Trotsky sides with Vasietis. At, at the Central Committee meeting on July um, on July 3rd through 4th, Trotsky and Vasietis' plan is rejected. Stalin uh, attempts to pressure Lenin to remove Trotsky from his post, um, isn't really successful. Trotsky attempts to resign on July 5th, um, but all organs of the Central Committee um, unanimously reject it. So they're like, so no, he, bitch, you're gonna work. He, well, he tries to resign, and they're like, no, you can't resign. Like, this is this isn't that big of a thing. You you keep doing what you're doing since you're doing a good job. Trotsky is sent to the southern front um, as one of his opponents, um, Ivar Smelga, um, handles things in Moscow. So so Trotsky is sent down to down to the southern front to sort of handle things there, um, handle the war effort, and this Smelga guy sort of takes over handling things. Um, Trotsky is eventually able to return to Moscow and resume sort of his full um, position. Um, Vasietis, though, is arrested by the Cheka, um, but is soon released after the claims that he is actually an agent of the, the Whites and the Entente are found to be false. Okay. In, in October of 1919, um, Denikin, uh, Admiral Denikin, who's one of, the, one of these white leaders, his forces are closing in on Tula and Moscow from the south. And Nikolai uh, Udenich, who's another white leader, his forces are approaching Petrograd from the west. So, so remember, these guys are not like coordinating. Their 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 forces just seem to be moving in these directions. Yeah, well, how would they coordinate in the what was like what the twenties? They could use radio um, from that, that far. Uh, yeah, hmm. they could they could use um, they they it could was, probably they, use they some sort of telegraph. Too, didn't they? They, they, there could be a number of ways they could have coordinated. Um, the, the Entente, the Entente <laughs> probably could have helped them out in that regard, too. Let me ask you this. Messenger pigeons. Why didn't they? Largely because these generals don't want to work with each other. See, that's the big problem. Yo, no, that piece of shit over there, 
All he does is drink, and I no, I can't. I can't work under those conditions. Did you fucking hear Leon's with the other guys? <laughs> no, we got him the fuck out of here. We could deal with his ass. <laughs> we are not coordinating because we, we kicked him out. We because said no. these two major cities are, are sort of in the crosshairs. Um, Lenin wants to abandon Petrograd and focus on Moscow. He doesn't believe they have enough troops to defend both cities. Um, so he he wants them to sort of abandon Petrograd and focus on Moscow, which is the capital. Um, it, it had been the, the, the Soviets make it the capital before then it had been Petrograd. Mm-hmm. Trotsky argues uh, against this, um, and he's actually supported by Stalin and, and Zinoviev, who's also one of his other big critics. Um, <sighs> I'm not happy, but I say that he makes a point. <laughs> Trotsky is afraid that if they abandon Petrograd, that Finland or Estonia will enter the war and take the city. If you don't call my city by its correct name of Stalingrad, I will send you to the Gulag. Um, so Trotsky goes to Petrograd. Um, he That's valiantly it. <laughs> he valiantly rallies uh, Zinoviev's troops and defends the city. Um, so he he goes there. Um, he rallies the troops. They they defend the city. Udinich or Udinich uh, retreats to Estonia, um, and because. Where he and his men are disarmed by the government there and interned, um, eventually Eudelich uh, um, dies in exile in Paris in 1933. You just pronounce that guy's name like you were listening to a song that you used to know the lyrics to, but you weren't <laughs> sure, so you just kind of mumble it. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's every Bruce Springsteen song ever. Often Neverland. It's it's Udenich. Udenich, got it. I don't know why I had an L in there on one of the things. I wasn't sure which was which, so I was just gonna, just gonna <laughs> just mumble my way through that bad boy. Smudge that motherfucker. <laughs> He's He's pretty unimportant after after this period. Like he he pretty much just dies in obscurity. Another one. This story's got a lot of unimportant people. Good God. <laughs> um, Trotsky for his efforts is awarded uh, the Order of the Red Banner, which is sort of like the Medal of Honor for the Soviet Union. It's the first medal they actually create. Nice. What is it given out for? Just bravery, heroism. Who, who gave it to him? Yeah, why did uh, they give it to him, and who gave it to him? Boris Probably, Yeltsin. well, because he, he rallied the troops <laughs> and defended the city. So, so the they, central, gave, they gave it to him for valor, basically. Yeah, essentially for, for leading, to saving the city. Okay. Because if he hadn't shown up, uh, Zinoviev's troops probably would have uh, collapsed. Who gave it to him? Uh, probably the Central Committee. Yeltsin, I just told you. It was not <laughs> Boris Yeltsin, dude. <laughs> I'm assuming it was given to him by Lenin in the Central Committee. Okay, okay. It didn't state who it was given to him by. I'm sure it's by, you know, like the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's given to you by the, the president. I'm sure it's given to you by, by Lenin in the, the Central Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because, like, af- after this period, um, the, the Civil War is dying down. Trotsky is sent to the Urals um, to work on the economy there. And, and sort of fix things because the economy isn't working very well at this time. Um, and he argues for abandoning war communism. Um, this isn't really accepted at this point. Um, they, they still want to keep with it. Lenin, though, puts Trotsky in charge of the railroads, um, where he implements sort of a military style structure in the railroads that I talked about before. Um, 
and, and during this period, you know, he he's sort of um, he, he's sort of making things work on time. He, he's also sort of um, repressing the the labor unions, like I talked about too. It's part of war communism. You you can't have labor unions. Right, but isn't it so? That's that's like a, a communist bent then. Well, the the thing that that usually happens in communist countries is that once the communists come into power, they sort of strip the labor unions of all power, and, and they just sort of argue, you know, well, we're the government of the people, so we know what's best, so you just you just do what we tell you. Right. And Trotsky is, is especially harsh with them. Hmm. At, at this time, too, as sort of like an ongoing thing, um, there had been fighting between the Soviet Union and Poland, um, but this sort of goes into like a full war um, that comes to a head during this period. And so Lenin believes um, at this time that it's time for them to push the offensive. Um, Trotsky had argued that this was a bad idea because he he doesn't believe that the Red Army is capable of of fighting because, remember, the Civil War doesn't end officially until 1922. So they are still fighting to a degree and they are still sort of taking back the country. Um, This is all part of, like, Lenin wants to spread the revolution to the rest of Europe, and he believes that if they can take Poland, that it will give them a beachhead into Western Europe. Right. Um, Eventually what happens is is no one really knows exactly what leads up to this, um, but the Soviets are defeated by the Polish at the Battle of Warsaw. Um, The the Polish outmaneuver the Soviets. Um, Some people claim, you know, especially as critics, that that Stalin is partially responsible for this. Um, because the the Soviets kind of delay their actions, they they don't move as quickly as they should have, and, and the Poles are able to sort of outmaneuver them. Kind of like um, how they say that uh, what's his nuts was responsible for Pearl Harbor because they knew it was coming and they should have moved and did all this well, and that. Well, that's 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 conspiracy theory, of course. Yeah, it's mostly conspiracy theory. If if FDR knew about Pearl Harbor happening. And he let it happen in the way they claim he would have been one of the greatest like tactical geniuses the world has ever known. I'm gonna because, let you destroy my fleet just to get us in this war and well, absolutely lets, fucking he, annihilate you in a couple well, of years. Well, he lets them he lets them destroy the destroyer fleet. the The carrier fleet had been out on maneuvers, and and no one knew it at that time. But eventually, the carrier becomes the main the main sort of ship that's used in the war. Yeah, because everybody um, thought the idea of an aircraft carrier was insane. Well, they, they all thought it was a support vehicle. It is not like it is not the, the workhorse of the Navy. And eventually the aircraft carrier, because of the Pacific, becomes the workhorse of the Navy. And, and because of the Battle of Warsaw, the Soviets losing, a ceasefire is declared on October 18th after um, the Polish forces um, just push eastward into what becomes the border of Poland. Um, Trotsky at this point argues that they should make a, a peace treaty, and they do. It, around this time as well, um, they begin debating the purpose of trade unions within the Soviet Union. So this this debate sort of goes on from 1920 to 1921. Um, Trotsky, Lenin, and uh, another leader named Bukharin begin debating the role and purpose of labor unions in the Soviet Union. So Lenin Lenin wants them to have um, some freedom, whereas um, Trotsky doesn't, and Bukharin eventually sides with Trotsky. Um, you also still have some groups within the Soviet Union that want to return to um, sort of intra-party democracy um, to have more representation. Um, none of these guys want this, um, so the main people debating are the ones that want to consolidate things. Um, at this point, 
the the Communist Party is becoming more and more monolithic, and the Soviet Union is becoming more and more controlled by bureaucracy. Um, and and these these sort of groups feel that that they're going too far. Okay. Um, at this point too, um, Lenin sort of criticizes Trotsky as, as being um, what he refers to as bureaucratically nagging towards labor trade uh, labor unions and trade unions um, when he's running the railroads. And you have to remember too that every time like Lenin says something bad about Trotsky, um, all of these any any times there's any criticism of Trotsky, you know if this was a telltale game, there there would be a thing about how like Stalin will remember this. <laughs> Like Stalin, <laughs> just Stalin sitting this, there, just mulling, sitting there brooding with that big Stalin, mustache. Stalin, Stalin won't that. forget this. St- Stalin is building. Won't forget a, that you piece of shit. <laughs> Stalin is building like a scrapbook of like Trotsky's greatest hits to like bust out when he finally like deals with him. Oh, just wait till I send him after you. It's like, oh, I just got crinkle scissors. They all cut these, so nicely. All these other countries, they get rid of of Trotsky. Me? I'm not just going to get Leon out of the fucking room. <laughs> <laughs> and Don't let me call my boy Ramon. <laughs> and so is and, he and, not wearing the ribbon? <laughs> well, and then we can use that awesome panel from that comic of that, like, of that guy, of, of him being depicted in like a sombrero and a and a poncho, wielding a pickaxe, coming at Trotsky as he's like sitting at a desk. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> uh, Which is from some like anti-communist comic from like the 1960s that like the John Birch Society or somebody put out. Oh yeah, um, John, John Wayne's favorite group. Um. So, on March 21st um, of 1921. The the 10th Congress of the Russian Communist Party um, is held. At at this Congress, Trotsky and his his faction are overturned by Lenin and lose most of their positions. Factions within the Communist Party are banned, so you're not allowed to sort of form into any sort of uh, unofficial factions or official factions. Um, Just just communist or any kind of factions? Well, you're a member of the party. Okay. And because you're a member of the party, like, the party is everything, so you can't be, like, the Trotsky wing of the party, or you can't be this wing of the party. Gotcha. Because you know how, like, in the, like, in, in, like, the Democratic Party, they'll have, like, the different, like, caucuses or whatever, or, or those things. Like, it's sort of like that. You, okay. You can't, you can't have the Trotsky caucus. Gotcha. Um, Stalin will eventually use this later against Trotsky, um, after Trotsky is sort of publicly... Um, sort of decried for for creating a faction. Um, while this Congress is going on, a, a group of sailors at Kronstadt. Um, so, if you've seen the Battleship Potemkin, that movie, no, it's sort of the famous one, you know, with the baby carriage going down the stairs. Um, I can picture that scene, but I don't think I've seen that movie. Um, so it, it's sort of a famous scene, but the, the sailors who, who sort of participated in that and go against the Tsar um, are the sailors that eventually become the Kronstadt Rebellion. So these are sailors that were early sort of um, fans of the revolution. Um, they supported it, but they believe that the, the communists have, have sort of gone too far in a lot of things. Okay. Um, so these sailors, um, they're, they're at this uh, naval base at Kronstadt, which is sort of off the coast from Petrograd. Um, and they, they sort of take control of this naval base, 
and and these sailors um, they, they demand reforms um, so they want um, they want the government you know to, to reform bring back sort of intra-party democracy um, to, to sort of uh, allow people to have a voice and not be as monolithic and bureaucratic mm-hmm. eventually the Red Army brutally ends the rebellion and the survivors are imprisoned in labor camps or later traded to Finland um, because Trotsky is the one that sort of, as head of the Red Army, signs the orders for this, he's mm-hmm. blamed for it. I mean, um, if you're the head of the Red Army, of course you can get blamed for it. And so this is something, you know, that foreign socialists and anarchists like um, Emma Goldman will, will sort of comment on this, that, that sort of like that, that they consider Trotsky a butcher. Because um, eventually what happens is that um, even though the even though the sailors are on an island, um, because it's Russia um, and, and sort of far north Russia, um, they just wait until the water freezes enough for them to walk on it, and they just sort of siege the siege the fort from the frozen lake. <laughs> so they oh, just I'm walk, so protected. I'm on an island. Oh shit! They just so you walk walking across on the, the ice. ice and take it. <laughs> oh fuck! You walking across the ice? God damn it! I did not think this through. Ah, <laughs> I'll get you, beer baron. <laughs> Sergey, you always huge... forget about the winter. I'm seeing a huge hole in my plan. At this at this conference too, they adopt what's called the new economic policy, um, which is it's it's usually abbreviated as the NEP. So the new economic policy um, it implements foreign trade. Um, it allows banks and heavy industry to stay in state hands, but the rest can be uh, privatized. So the government is going to control foreign trade, banks, and heavy industry. But private um, private industry can be in, um, or other forms of industry can be in private hands. Okay. So they, they reverse much of the policies of war communism. Um, it, it is sort of um, the way they state it is free market and capitalism, or a free market and capitalism, both subject to state control. And, and this is sort of like um, what happens in China in the in like the early 1980s as China opens up. Um, you know, people start opening factories. Um, they start producing things. Um, a lot of sort of cottage industries pop up in the rural areas um, where entrepreneurs are, are producing like handicrafts and handiworks. And these entrepreneurs who become successful are they become called net men. And, and it's literally what it translates to from Russian. But it the, these become like sort of nouveau rich. Um, and, and that's sort of how um, Stalin will later describe them when he comes out against the, the NEP. Um, and, and they're also sort of derided for becoming rich um, because they sort of become these sort of wealthy um, businessmen. And also, too, people within the party begin to feel that this policy is at odds with communism. I feel like it, it is at direct odds with communism, is it not? Well, the idea is, and, and sort of like the, the bent that, that China takes with it, is that you have to build up a sort of a, a a modern sort of industrial society in order to um, go into communism. Okay. Um, and so the idea is is that once you build up industry and stuff, um, you could eventually move it towards artificially where it would have normally gone with the bourgeoisie controlling the means of production and eventually reforms coming out and then eventually um, the overthrow. Oh. Because... Because originally Marx's sort of tipping point for when this happens is that he incorrectly believed that that industrialization would eventually reach a point 
where factories uh, with the constant upgrading and, and sort of maintaining of machinery would become so expensive that they wouldn't be profitable mm-hmm. so workers wages would decrease um, and while workers wages you know as we've seen today have decreased um, it doesn't really happen for the reasons that Marx said, because his whole thing was based around the technology. Marx couldn't really foresee, you know, that automation and industrialization um, sort of reduces costs over time. Yeah. Plus, workers. Well, workers' wages haven't decreased; they've stagnated. Well, they've, I mean, you they've might stagnated. As well call it a decrease. Sure. But, but um, because they've stagnated, they have decreased because the value of the dollar right um, is not what it was. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good. Which, point. which is a which is a natural thing, um, but you know wages should be increasing so that they're about the same as what they used to be. Absolutely. Um, so we're we're going to sort of uh, cut off there at the at the implementation of the new economic policy and, and sort of what happens at the March um, nineteen twenty one tenth Congress of the Russian Communist Party. Let me ask you a I'm question. S- I'm so excited for part two. Yes. <laughs> did uh, did where was Trotsky at this time? He is in um, he's in Moscow, I think. Oh. He moves around a bit, I think, with uh, maintaining things. But I, I believe he's he's based in Moscow as head of the railroads and uh, his other positions. And I'm okay. sure he's under a, a very watch close a closely watched eye to make sure he doesn't start any bullshit, right? Because at this point, he has lost a lot of his um, positions, and so has his people. Um, this this happens a lot. Um, but he is still the number two man. He, he's still, Lenin still considers him that if Lenin was to die tomorrow, Trotsky would be his man. Spoiler alert! Uh, <laughs> and which we'll, we'll get into. Um, and Lenin, until he dies, does think that Trotsky should be the person to replace him. Interesting. Wow. All right, so we're not going to kick Trotsky out of the podcast just yet. We'll bring him in for another one. We're not going to. We're going to. We're going to pick his mind a little bit more. Okay, this is the trilateral troika signing off. <laughs> Excellent. We will catch you guys on the next one. Later. Yep. See you next time. <laughs>